We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. We are now on discourse number three of the Faxton edition of Fihi Mafihi, page 11. All right. The Farhana sent a message in which he said, Night and day, my heart and soul have been at your service but I have not been able to attend beca- attend you because of my preoccupation with Mongol affairs. Okay, so right from the start, we were talking about a difference. Uh, there is where you are physically, and then where is your heart. And one source of emotional depression, uh, and keep in mind there's different types of depression. There's physiological depression, right? Uh, where the where the treatment is like actual physical medication or food or something you know like exercise or something like that, uh, but one cause of one type of depression is when your heart in your heart you want to be someplace else but physically you're in another place, and that could also mean your state or your status. That you know the easiest example is let's say you've lost someone. Um, and so now you are no longer with them, but in your heart you wish you could be with them. And that disconnect between the state of your heart and your actual worldly state is a space often where depression grows. And it grows especially when you feel like there's nothing you can do. Because for some people, it becomes a fuel for ambition. And implicit in the ambition is that you feel like you can accomplish reaching what your heart is seeking. Make sense? Yes. Yeah. So, let's say professionally I'm chaplain, I'm teacher, but in my heart I want to be, you know, let's say physician. Okay. Uh, so either that will become fuel for ambition that'll get me to work hard to become a physician or if I'm not putting in effort or if I feel like there's no point to the effort then that exact same disconnect between my heart and my condition will lead to depression make sense? yes okay so here we have the Amir uh, the Parvana, and also uh, continuing his themes in this discourse, we have the Amir and the scholar, the prince and the scholar. So here we have the Amir saying to Rumi, you know, I wish in my heart I could serve you all day long, but I'm just too busy with all these worldly affairs fighting off the Mongols. Yeah. Okay, so how does Rumi respond? The master responded, these also are works of God inasmuch as they have to do with the safety and security of Islamdom. You have sacrificed your all, both materially and physically, to give a few Muslims the inner tranquility to occupy themselves with acts of devotion and security. Therefore, this too is a good work. Inasmuch as God has inclined you to such good works, your excessive zeal is a sign of his favor. Mm -hmm. Conversely, when there is a slackening off in this inclination, it is a sign of disfavor. God God would not wish such a critical good work to be executed 
by means of a person unless that person is worthy of reward and exalted station. It is like a warm bathhouse, the heat of which comes from a stove. God provides the means for heating, like straw, kindling, dung, and so forth. In external form, these things may appear mean and ugly, but they are nonetheless divine favors with regard to their purpose. When the bath is heated by these things, people benefit from it. Okay. So, uh, quite a few things in this paragraph. <clears throat> Number one, um, he's, uh, Rumi is saying that, okay, in one way you can say your work directly is not in service to a law. But the effect of your work is definitely in service to a law. Because you are sacrificing your all so that Muslims, some Muslims can be safe. Okay. And in being safe, they can focus on devotion. If they weren't feeling safe, then they're not going to be able to focus on devotion. So you are providing a space uh, indirectly or perhaps even unintentionally for Muslims to get closer to Allah. So you are doing uh, a work to God, right? And then on top of that, <coughs> the fact that you have so much passion for this is a sign of, the, of Allah's favor on you. If you are not um, full of all this zeal, or even the inclination, that's a sign of Allah's disfavor. So there's the hadith that's often the foundation of much of Iqbal's poetry, or not the hadith, the ayah, and I forgot, I, think, I want to say it's in Surah Maryam, but I don't remember, um, that Allah, uh, they forgot Allah, so Allah made them forget themselves. You know, that, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, sure, if you can do it quickly. Yeah. And so while you're looking it up, the, the basic point being that um, it's either 1959 or 5919. I want to say it's 1959. So Surah Maryam, Ayah 59. No. Okay. Then I'm way off. Surah, it's Surah 59. Uh-huh. I-19. Uh-huh, there it is, yeah. What's uh, Surah 59? Surah Hashr? Yeah, Surah Hashr. Yeah. Let me click it. Oh, there you go. So it is, so it says, and be not like those who forsook Allah, and he made them forsake their own souls. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so what's the point there? <coughs> if you forget Allah, Allah's going to make you forget yourself. Okay. Or if you forget Allah, yeah, Allah's going to make you forget yourself. And likewise, uh, if you are slacking off in your desire to serve Allah, that's basically a sign that Allah is displeased. And so how does that happen? Uh, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm serving Allah with all kinds of zeal. Then I start getting comfortable in the fact that I'm serving Allah with all kinds of zeal. And so then I start slacking off. And then I slack off on my slacking off, Right? Eventually to the point I am not doing anything. And then eventually what happens is that my desire even goes away. 
So those are signs of Allah's disfavor. How did you connect the ayah back to this? So basically, uh, it's like the same form. So if I'm forgetting Allah, uh-huh. okay, Allah's going to make me forget myself. And the key point of how he's going to make me forget myself is forget my akhirah. And forget my natural desire to serve him. But you look like you had a, an, a, an epiphany moment. What were you thinking? Like oh, no, 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 no. I was just like making a connection. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's good that you asked me because sometimes my connections are all over the place. <laughs> That's good. Further, <clears throat> so basically, if it's an important work, uh, he's saying Allah Ta'ala will not have someone who's not worthy of it doing the work. So it says, God would not wish such a critical good work to be ex- executed by means of a person unless that person is worthy of reward or exalted station. So if it's an important work, Allah will put somebody important to do it. Important from the Akhirah perspective. Okay. Not important from a dunya status perspective. So it's basically like saying, um, whatever level of paradise, inshallah, a person goes to, Allah Ta'ala is only going to make a person going to that level if they're worthy of that level. So it's kind of circular. So the, Allah Ta'ala chose the Prophet, peace be upon him, to be the Prophet. Uh, which means that the Prophet, peace be upon him, was the only person in history in all of creation worthy of that role. Okay. Which is also sort of like saying Allah Ta'ala made the Prophet, peace be upon him, worthy of that role to be the prophet. See, it goes both ways. And then what Rumi is also saying in the last part of the paragraph is consider the, the, the warm bath, okay? And its heat comes from a stove. And what's causing the heat? Straw, dung. What's dung? Feces. Yeah, manure. So these are things, especially dung, this is something that you don't even want to be near. But it is a source of very intense heat which then makes the water warm for people to clean themselves. So it's something that is filthy and dirty, and yet it does have a purpose in helping people become clean. So its physical state is dirt, but its purpose is to provide cleanliness. And that's how many things are in creation. So there are many things that might seem ugly and worthless, but have very, very noble purposes. And that's a perfect description of politics and governance. Politics and governance is one of the worst things of them all. Where you find some of the worst people. But it's also one of the most important aspects of life. Make sense? Mm -hmm. And so in a way, what is Rumi talking about? A person should appreciate their worth. Everybody has worth. And so this master is saying, you know, I'm just wasting my life. But he yes. said that if you don't, like if you're slacking, then you're not. Then you're not appreciating your worth. Oh, okay, so everyone has worth. You might yeah. just not be appreciating it. Yeah, exactly. So imagine someone who's harming themselves. Okay. Uh, they're not appreciating their worth. Right. And so I could be harming my akhirah which means I'm not appreciating my worth. I could be harming myself in dunya, which means I'm not appreciating my worth. That makes sense. Just like, 
like live your life to the best you possibly could. Yeah, your potential. Yeah. And if we each have a house waiting for us in genital for those, that's what Allah Ta'ala is telling us our worth is. It's to be that high. So then they're connected, like, the worth of no, like the worth of this world and the worth of next world? Can be. Can. Okay. But not necessarily. Yeah. Right. Okay. So then what if you don't have any inclination, like you don't have any ambition in this world? Is that the same thing? If you don't have any, uh, the, the real question would be, where is your ambition? Okay, so if you're someone whose ambition is exclusively for Akhirah, then it, it's possible you don't have any ambition for dunya. Yeah. Right? Vice versa also. Right? Mm-hmm. You might be someone who has exclusive ambition for dunya, but you don't care about Akhirah at all. Right? That would not be a good thing. Right? Um, so but it, yeah. what if that person, through his ambition in this world, he's donating millions of dollars to help other people? So then actions are judged by intentions. So then, like... So he may still receive it. So imagine someone who... <coughs> um, they're Muslim basically only in name. And they're murdered because they're Muslim. Where is that person going to go? And let's say they've not done a single good deed. Except for the fact that they just keep, like, their Muslim name. Okay. Let's say their name is, like, Abdullah Abdullah. Right? You know. Where is that person going to go in the Akhirah? If they're murdered just because they're Muslim. Inshallah, they're shaheed. Yeah. So, it may be that Allah Ta'ala will still turn that one trait into the highest virtue on the other side. Right? So, and so at one level, it is surrender to whatever Allah's will is. At this point, some friends arrived, but the master apologized, saying, If I do not rise for you or speak to you to inquire after your condition, it is out of respect for you. The measure of respect for a thing is determined by the propriety of the occasion. During prayer, it is not fitting to inquire after one's father or brother or to bow to them. Not to acknowledge one's friends and relatives while one is at prayer is the essence of courtesy and respect because if one does not disjoin oneself from total absorption in an act of devotion and does not become distracted by them, they will not deserve reproach and punishment. This, then, is the essence of attentiveness and courtesy, since one will have been on guard against something on account of which they would have to suffer. Okay, so guests come in while Rumi is talking to, to the, or actually, no, Pravana sent a letter. So Rumi is there, and these, these friends come in. And so what does Rumi say? If I do not rise for you or speak to you or ask about you, it's out of respect. Okay, so what's the common courtesy? Someone visits you, you open the door, you welcome them in, you ask them, how are you doing? Can I get you anything to drink? All that stuff, right? But he's saying, if I don't do that, it doesn't mean it's disrespect, right? Because everything has its proper behavior. So suppose I'm praying, or suppose you're praying, it's ridiculous to start asking you know, hey, hey, how's your dad doing? Right? That's, mm-hmm. that's just ridiculous. Okay? And vice versa. Suppose you enter my house and I'm praying. Okay? You, should not, you would not be expecting me to do anything for you if you see that I'm praying. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't see me there, you might assume that I'm praying. 
as opposed to thinking, what kind of rude person is this? This person didn't greet me. Right. And so, so a point to think about here is that you want to reach a level of complete absorption in prayer. And what that also means, as we're going to see a little bit later on, is you want to make everything an act of prayer. So there's salah, but you want to make everything else dua. Which means that if someone is coming, just like the case of someone visiting the scholar at the beginning of the, of the book, the scholar is giving you whatever it is that's appropriate for the scholar in the scholar's interaction with Allah, and whatever, whatever is appropriate for you to help you get closer to Allah. Okay. Which means that the scholar at some point might be a little bit abrasive. Okay. If that is what will get you closer to Allah. Okay. Now, there's a risk here, and remind me to get to the risk in a second, but you get the point so far, right? That... Generally speaking, the scholars is going to be really welcoming and, hey, how you doing, all that stuff, right? But sometimes the scholar will need to reprimand, right? Um, uh, but the goal is not to punish you. The goal is to get you closer to Allah, right? The risk, however, uh, is that that can be grounds for a pseudo-scholar. May a pseudo-scholar, I don't mean someone who doesn't have knowledge, but someone who doesn't have the character to then abuse the student, because what you often find out when a scholar gets busted for, for very bad behaviors, there will be a legion of students who will say, no, the scholar is at such a spiritual level, anything they do is correct. Right? And then you have this whole trail of people who have been wounded and whose lives have been destroyed. That's the risk of it. Right? But what we are saying is that in general, the scholar's goal is for him or herself to get closer to Allah, but especially to help the students get closer to Allah. Okay? which means the behavior, the welcome, will change each time, potentially. It'll change each time? Not necessarily each time, saying potentially. Oh. But according to what is the propriety of that moment. And according to the person? According to the person, yes. So, for example, you and your sister have two different personalities. And so let's say, you know, you two come separately. Um, it may be that I'm greeting you two two different ways, according to uh, you and according to her. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that is true attentiveness and true courtesy. That I'm doing something for you that will get you closer to Allah. But it's actually supposed to get you closer to Allah. Not like, you know, I'm just going to make life miserable for you so you, you know, beg for Allah. No. It's something that should inspire you or compel you to get closer to Allah. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, it's already 2.10. Uh, let's stop right here. Okay. And this will give you plenty of time, because this is... Actually, no, you want to go to the end? Yeah. Yeah, let's go to the end. Okay. Someone asked, is there any way to approach God other than prayer? The answer is more prayer. However, prayer does not exist only in outward form. That is just the shell of prayer, because it has a beginning and an end. Anything that has a beginning and an end is a shell. The proclamation of God's greatness is the beginning of the prayer and the greeting of peace is its end. Likewise, there is more to the pronouncement of faith than what is said with the tongue, because it too has a beginning and an end. 
Anything that can be vocalized and has a beginning and an end is a form, a shell. Its soul, however, is unqualifiable and infinite, without beginning and without an end. Without end. Anyway, prayer as we know it was formulated by the prophets. Now the prophet, who formalized prayer, says, I have a time with God during which there is room for neither message-bearing prophet nor angel near in station to what? Oh, in station to God to share with me. We know then that the soul of prayer is not only its external form, but also a state of total absorption and, un- and unconsciousness during which all these external forms for which there is no room remain outside. In that state, there is not room even for Gabriel, who is purely conceptual. Okay, conceptual is probably not the best translation there, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay, <clears throat> so students asking, is there any way to get closer to Allah other than prayer? And of course, he gives this type Yoda-type answer, yeah, more prayer. Okay. But what is he saying? How would you describe it? In a nutshell, what is he saying? That the physical prayer that we think of is not the only definition of the word prayer. There are other ways to like, essentially pray to God. Yeah, exactly. So there's salah, which is a way to get closer to Allah, even if you feel like your heart is not even in it at all. The fact that you're praying means by definition you're putting in an effort to get closer to Allah. Even if your mind keeps wandering to all over all kinds of things that a person, you know, is thinking about other than Allah or even things a person should not be thinking about, right? The fact that you have gotten up for prayer means you have uh, done an act of submission. It could be better, but you still accomplish an act of submission, which means by definition you're getting closer to Allah. And so that's the form of it. The soul of it, the heart of it, the spirit of it, you would like your entire Salah to be completely, 100% focused on nothing but Allah. So like you lift up your hands in Takbir Tahrima, and you're throwing the world behind you, and then from that moment until the Salam, it's just Allah. Not even you and Allah, it's just Allah. That's an ideal level to get to, Right? But if all I think about Allah is one flash in my mind for a moment, I have still accomplished Salah. And so, if we're talking about consciousness, then we're talking about everything outside of Salah. Right? So, it includes Adhkar, saying things, but even the heart of the Adhkar. So, if I'm saying SubhanAllah, and I don't even know what SubhanAllah means, and I don't even actually think of the meaning of SubhanAllah, I've still accomplished a step of getting closer to Allah, potentially. But then if I have it in my heart, the meaning of subhanAllah, and I really have that in my consciousness, it's like it fills up the whole sky. Okay? And then what else? Uh, connecting this with everything that came before, the parvana, his whole being can be service to Allah, even when he's doing something that seems worldly. Right? And then in terms of the teacher and the student, Everything is in service to Allah. So at one level, student visits the teacher, and the teacher is giving to the student whatever it is the teacher understands will help the student get closer to Allah, right? But that interaction is also for the teacher, for the teacher to get closer to Allah, right? It's two ways at the same time. And so the point is you're trying to make everything consciousness of Allah to the point everything becomes communication with Allah, which means everything becomes du'a. So you do your salah, 
that's like the pillars of your day, mm-hmm. but everything in between your salah is nonstop du'a. Are you using the words du'a and like adhkar interchangeably? So I'm using du'a and adhkar, uh, I'm using adhkar in the way we think of adhkar. Yeah. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, and everything. Okay. But then the actual meaning of adhkar, that it actually becomes remembrance. Yeah, so that's what I Yeah, exactly. So okay. And so du'a, same thing, like you're supplicating to Allah. Yeah. But then what we're saying is everything becomes supplication or praise of Allah. Okay. Right? Non-stop. And so he's saying at the worldly level, the dunya we level, everything has a starting point and an ending point. But when you move beyond the dunya we level, then it becomes a level that is without beginning and end. It's like, okay, like, uh, when a mother has love for her child, you can't really measure it. Maybe you can have a starting point for it, but you're not going to have an ending point for it. And the only reason there's a starting point is because your mother didn't know you existed. Right? But then it's not, it becomes part of her. Right? Yeah. Uh, the last part, and so the Prophet, peace be upon him, is saying, <clears throat> so he's the one who taught us the Salah, and then he is saying there are some moments where there is nothing except for me and Allah. Not even Jibreel can reach that. Or not even Jibreel can enter that. So one example is the night journey. Right? So the Prophet, peace be upon him, goes on the night journey, and then it reaches this point where Jibreel salam, says, okay, I can't go any further. Now you have to go. Right? And at that moment, it's just purely Allah and the Prophet, peace be upon him. And the Prophet says, each of us can have our own miraj, Right? In Salah. I think where it says in that state where there's not even room for Gabriel, <coughs> who is purely conceptual, I think what he actually means is purely not of this world. One of the criticisms of this translation is sometimes it gets very, very literal. There's another translation by Arbery, which uh, my complaint is that sometimes it gets too metaphorical. So both are like somewhere in between, but I like this translation much more. Okay, and so what are we saying? Putting all these points together, you want to try to reach a state of 24-7 connection with Allah. And all your dini work, all your dunyawi work, thus making everything dini. Make sense? Yes. One key that we can get from the Bravana's case <coughs> is one step towards making your dunya we work dini is to make it service-oriented. Right? Which is one of the interesting things about careers in America. So many jobs, so many careers are service-oriented. Where you're basically making the lives of other people better. So there you might still be making somebody's life better, potentially, like by facilitating, um, you know, other people's work, potentially. And so obviously there's going to be levels, but uh, imagine you are making slot machines. 
there you're taking advantage of people. You're, you're, or no, let's say you make guns at a time of war. Um, but the point is that you try to make your career to be something service-oriented. Mm -hmm. So yeah, sure, being a physician is in general going to be more service-oriented stereotypically than a person in IT, yeah. right? But it doesn't mean that the person in IT is not doing something, uh, a particular job that is service-oriented. They can find one that is. So basically whatever you do, whatever you do could be service-oriented. Like what if yeah. you're in advertising? Well, That's like... Like, I'm not saying, like, all advertising, but I'm saying, like, you know, sometimes advertising is a form of manipulation. Oh, yeah, so. sure. And so one of the nice things about working in advertising uh, in general is that you don't have to work on a product or a, a project that you don't feel, like, ethically comfortable with. So let's say it's a junk food company. You decide, no, I'm only going to work on, like, milk and fruits and all that stuff. So that would be how you do it. So you, you, your goal is to make your job to be legally clean. I don't think that's too hard. Yeah. To make it ethically sound, mm -hmm. which means you're only doing things that are upright. Yeah. But even better than that, you want to try to make it, if possible, make your job one that helps facilitate other people and their connection to Allah, if you can. Now that Then each, each uh, uh, layer we add shrinks the, the possibilities. Yeah, like advertising, how would you help people get closer to Allah? Yeah, I don't know how. Unless you want to do advertising for like <laughs> a masjid or something like that, yeah. Here's the Quran, you know, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, but that's, that's pretty much all Yeah. All right, any other questions? Um, I think that's it. Okay, we'll continue, inshallah, next time. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasakfiruka natubi ilaik, wa akhri da'wana, anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.